Hey there, cool cats and kittens. It's Stevenson from Those Who Wonder. And if you don't know what that reference was, then what are you even doing with your quarantine time in this coronavirus era? What are you even watching, man? That documentary was pretty bonkers. I'm glad we had it to kill this time. Another great way to kill time? Podcasts. It's funny, I was listening back just to the intros of what I've done so far to like think about what I could do for an intro, because I guess I'm going to try to do something different every time, but if I continue <laughs> this podcast series, I'm definitely going to run out of ideas. Anywho, the last one with the oil is a heroin, which if you haven't listened to it, go ahead and give it a shot. Yes, that is correct. I said oil is our heroin, but... Um, it's funny that I was like I was talking about Iran and how everyone's freaking out about Iran and I was enjoying all the memes about that and now I think that was about a month ago maybe and now we're already in coronavirus land and the memes have been pretty good um, but also the memes about this Tiger King documentary have been pretty good I'm enjoying them um, but that is not what this podcast episode is about uh, this podcast episode is a reflection upon uh, teaching world history now for five years and from teaching world history and just studying history in general and uh, learning about the past and human behavior which if you think about it history is really just real life case studies of how humans either individually or collectively or even a combination of both act it's just true psychology um I've learned three things, or I've, I guess, three things that I find are true and connected and connected to the big three that I've talked about, Sonder, The Moment, and The Butterfly Effect. If you haven't listened to those, go for it. Truthfully, what has led to this podcast is I was watching Planet Earth or The Hunt, whichever one of those two, which were on Netflix, which are no longer there. Uh, but I got some facts dropped on me, which broke my heart and got me thinking. But it was 90% of cheetah cubs don't survive to their second year. Let's just let that sink in. Cue the song. This episode of Those Who Wonder is brought to you by this delicious mint tea. You gotta try it out. If you're like if you drink too much coffee, it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth, and you also just kind of feel bad about yourself. Maybe that might just be me. But I got away from it, but I was drinking mint tea. It's just incredibly refreshing and just makes me feel like I'm the feeling of having a hot cup of coffee. Cause I I mean I could drink I, maybe I couldn't. I could drink half-calf at least of coffee, but I just like the smell of it, you know? But this mint tea, it's like a good afternoon, evening bevy. Anywho, three things. So I've studied world history. Uh, predominantly, I mean, I've read books from the origins of mankind all the way to now. And I've been teaching predominantly about 1500 to present um, world history. I've learned all about American history and I've done research on all this stuff. And 
and obviously not everything that's one of the things about history like when students are like you don't know that like do you know how many pieces of information there are in regards to history like it's impossible so when they ask me some like random question i'm like i don't know like what do you mean i'm like just google it leave me alone anywho from my knowledge of history three things and those three things are number one there is suffering and injustice in the world. Number two, life is not fair and does not need to be fair to exist. And number three, ultimately, your individual actions impact the world, either for good or for bad. Um, let me, before we get too deep into this, acknowledge I'm going to be talking about privilege, or not privilege, I'm going to be talking about suffering and how life is not fair. Um... I feel like for the few people that will actually listen to this, it is necessary, especially in our current climate, and because at least it might make them feel better, that I acknowledge it. I have experienced privilege in my life. Um, I was able to live in middle-class America, which is pretty good. Um, Actually, apparently, if you make over, like I think it's $36,000 a year, you are in the 1%. So anyone that in like one percent of the world, so anyone that's like, oh, you, you're white male, check your privilege. Like, okay, yes, I acknowledge that white male, guilty, and I did grow up in middle class America, but also living in the United States makes us all fairly privileged. Now that is all relative within the one percent of the United States, and I am also acknowledging people are below the thirty-six percent, whatever. So they're not in the one percent of the wealthiest. Within the United States, I would also say that I've lived a fairly privileged life. But I'm not just like looking at a random commercial about like sad puppies in cages and like, man, life isn't fair. Like I've done years and years of learning about the history of the world and we're not just talking about the United States. Okay, let's get into it. Really what, that, what I'm hoping this is, is I'm going to propose three points and then there's going to be a conclusion. And then if you think I'm wrong, let me know. Hopefully this should spark some thought and then maybe perhaps some dialogue. Can you imagine? Number one, <clears throat> there is suffering and injustice in the world. And I put down this note. And I'm going to bet $5. So if someone can prove me wrong, I will just give me your Venmo account, your name, and I'll Venmo you 5 bucks. But I'm going to bet 5 bucks here. I would bet that there has not been a single day in human history where no one did anything wrong to someone. A.K.A. there has never been a perfect day. Like every single human experienced a good or perfect day. Now, suffering is experiencing something bad or unpleasant. So we're just going to say that suffering exists in the world. So people experience bad things or unpleasant things or things they don't want to be experiencing. Now, that obviously is relative, as in I stub my toe, someone lies to me, or genocide. Made a huge jump there. Okay, there is a scale to suffering, but I'm just pointing out from my understanding of the universe and let's say the human universe and the human experiencing experience, there is suffering in the world. 
and injustice. So injustice is lack of fairness. We'll get into that when we get into point two. But there is, I mean, just look at human history. I w- I'm, I'm going to try to bet. I mean, you can't really prove me wrong, which is why I'm putting so much money on this. I don't think there has been a day in human history where suffering didn't exist or happen for at least one person. And that could be like your family member dies prematurely. Anything. Someone murdered someone. I like, I might even bet a dollar that I would bet every single day in the history of humanity, someone, at least one person has been murdered and like not in war. I would probably make that bet. That's just a reality of life that suffering exists. Now, like I said before, there's a scale to it. So you have things like genocide or war or slavery. Um, I Googled just genocides in history and I was going to like point out a few genocides. Um, but I mean, if you, <laughs> the list is just so incredibly long. And a genocide is the deliberate and systematic destruction of a people. So that could be like ethnic, racial, religious, whatever else. Right. So there is a huge list of events and examples of within a population, a group is subject to a systematic attempt to remove them from the population. I would say that's suffering as in you are going to kill me because I am Hutu. Or you're going to kill me because I am Armenian or Jewish. Whatever. There are, so, like, in every, every instant, like, I'm looking at this page on Wikipedia, like, there's Asia, there's Europe, there's during World War One. there's during World War Two. like, almost every area in the world has experienced within its timeline genocide. That is suffering. That's it. Are we going to, and then this, this is what I think about. Like, is this just a reality of humanity? Like this is part of humanity. Yeah. It's a reality as in like it has happened and is happening potentially and probably will happen again. It's interesting. Like when you ask students, like, why do we learn history? And they're all like, so we don't repeat our mistakes. And like, then you just list off all the genocides that have happened since the Holocaust, because everyone knows about the Holocaust. Interestingly enough, you ask students, have you heard about King Leopold II and what he did in the Congo in Africa? Maybe one kid will raise their hand. And perhaps King Leopold II is responsible for 20 million people dying in the Congo. Did you know about King Leopold II? Maybe you did. Good for you. You're going to feel all good about yourself. And then someone's going to be like, okay, well, have you heard about this genocide? And then you probably have you, unless you were like a, a connoisseur of genocides, there's no way, you know, the history of all the genocides, but genocides exist. This is that's large scale suffering. Like the Holocaust is the easiest one to talk about because most people understand the Holocaust. Like, you hear individual stories of what happened to people during the Holocaust. That is someone, a large scale of people experiencing something bad or unpleasant to a very high level. 
war exists and you can say what you want about war sometimes in war like war is one of those crazy things where like a lot of people like hearing about it because there's like acts of valor and honor and it's just like it's a good story a lot of times but war is incredibly unpleasant and i don't know from experience thank god but people who experience it come back and talk about war and that we shouldn't look at war as some like glorious thing okay war is unpleasant war exists we kill each other over stuff sometimes it's to defend ourselves other times it's for things like uh, oil uh. slavery exists You're like no way man that ended in 1865 I'm like okay well um a few years ago excuse me i'm going to sip my mint tea a few years ago and i don't know if it's still going on on youtube but in libya there was a slave trade going on where you could watch live auctions as in like less than five years ago the super bowl is from my knowledge you're gonna have to fact check me on this one is the largest is the uh largest scale sex slave trade day of the year i guess is the way to put it so at the super bowl there's the largest sex slave trade going on heard it in the grapevines someone could fact check me sex slavery is still going on today all around the world that's suffering What the Europeans did to Africa and India and Asia through imperialism during the 1800s, that is suffering. Any of these things that I'm saying, like, I, it's a major bummer. So sorry if this is how you, not how you wanted to spend your day, just listening to suffering. But it's a reality, right? Like, and the more we're aware of it, I think the better. But if you want to do some research, and I'll, I'm going to do a podcast series on imperialism, but Europe just bleeds Africa dry and India dry. And that's suffering. Like that's, that's, we'll call it unfair because it is, but also like that is people are experiencing something bad or unpleasant. Here's another example on, a, I guess this is, I mean, this could be large or we're getting more into like medium scale on this one. Um, Women are getting acid thrown in their faces for a few reasons. It's not just in the Middle East, it's also happening in Europe. Uh, but there are stories that, like this one woman tells a story of her boyfriend proposed to her and she said no. So then a few days later, he walked up and threw acid in her face and like Google pictures of women with acid in their face, it's their faces melted. Now it's happening in the Middle East, like in Pakistan, um, it's not happening all over the place. Like it's not just a common occurrence, and not everyone's on board with it. That I looked at a survey, um, and a lot of people, or a decent amount of people in Pakistan, are for educating women, and are against getting acid <laughs> or throwing acid in women's faces. But it's still a thing. That's suffering. That exists. That's going on. So when you wake up. And you're living in America, and I wake up, and I'm experiencing my day, and I'm angry in, tra in traffic. Just know that somewhere out there in the world, there's probably genocide happening. Somewhere out there, women are sex slaves. 
Somewhere out there, men and women are being sold into slavery. Somewhere out there, ch child soldiers are being forced to fight. Like, so just, just be aware, suffering exists. And we're living a good life if we're not confronted with it daily. America. And not just America. I'm not saying like, oh, typical Americans. It's it's the scale of wealth within a nation where you don't have to deal with consistent suffering. And then, and that's large scale. I would like to point this out because the next thing, so I don't get privilege checked, is there is small scale suffering, which happens all over the place. Rape, murder, lying, physical and emotional abuse. Go ahead and like my wife watches SVU. Watch that for a few episodes. That's suffering. That's like, it's based on true stories. Listen to crime junkies. Goodness, I had to stop listening to crime junkies. There was one where like these girls go out on a camping trip and get murdered in their tents. That just gave me like the heebie-jeebies. And but like that is a reality of our lives. Ideally, we're not confronted with this on the daily. But again, if suffering is something bad or unpleasant, that could be as simple as lying, bullying, and then like this scale, th this is more of an individual, but there's a scale within the scale, rape, murder, physical and emotional abuse. Um, there is a story of Ed Johnson, uh, who was an African-American man in 1906. He was murdered by a lynch mob in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, and he was sentenced to death for the rape of a girl named Nevada Taylor. Um, and right when he was, again, we're talking 1906 here in the South. So think about what's going on here. He was accused of raping this woman named Nevada Taylor. And he always claimed to be innocent. But right when he was found guilty, this mob just comes barreling into the courthouse, grabs him takes him outside um they start beating him they start stabbing him they lynch him they light him on fire and what are the police officers doing nothing like just google pictures and look at the history of lynchings in the united states if you want to think about suffering and injustice like the kkk and mobs grabbing african-americans and lynching them and the police officers are within the mob like think about the feeling of helplessness and hopelessness like that is a reality of the past okay uh i forget i think like the last lynching was in the 70s or might have been even later like the 80s again you'd have to check me on that but like lynching if you don't know what lynching is it's hanging someone from a tree it was done not that long ago within the United States. And just because lynching's over doesn't mean that like there's injustice, racial injustice. Here's like here's something though. There's racial injustice, there's injustice in regards to uh, sexual orientation, there's injustice in regards to gender or sex, whatever. We don't need to get into that. May I as a white male and I'm again I've just checked my privilege I checked it right when I walked in the door and we started this bad boy 
it frustrates me when we assume that suffering like oh a white male like and again i'm not saying like and this is the extreme so i think a lot of you would hear this you're like oh of course not but like if a, a white male oh a white male doesn't experience suffering like that's clearly not the case and i make i acknowledge that like a race like African Americans on a scale experience more suffering than whites men or sorry women experience more suffering than men I would I would agree with that but like let's just not assume like oh because one experience is more than the other that like the others suffering is nullified and shouldn't be considered like let's just assume all humans experience suffering and humans impose suffering upon others and suffering and injustice is, let's say injustice is bad, suffering is, um, I guess we could call it bad. But then like the part of me is like, well, it's just kind of a reality. Like just bad things happen in life. People get cancer and die. The injustice part we'll say is bad. I don't know what we should say about the suffering part. But... I guess what I'm saying about this whole racial thing and sex thing and sexual orientation and whatever else, like I don't think we should neglect some groups of suffering because they are a part of a group that has experienced and is, is experiencing less suffering. And again, that's coming from a white male. So you could just be like, well, of course you're saying that and whatever. Anywho. I'd also like to point out that developed and underdeveloped nations or developing nations all experience suffering. Now, the scale in which that's happening might be different. You're more likely to experience genocide in a underdeveloped nation. You're more likely to experience acts of injustice in an underdeveloped nation, but it still happens in developed nations. Suffering and, and injustice exist. Okay, that's point one. Hopefully that didn't bum you out too much. And as I said, if you can go through from waking up to falling asleep, if you can go through your whole day without even having to think about the suffering in the world, that's, I mean, that's pretty nice. It makes you feel, frankly, it like makes me feel a little guilty where it's like, wow, today was a great day. And then I think about like a child soldier that's being filled with drugs and given a gun and told to like go shoot up a village. It's like, geez, man. <laughs> and the more the more you think about it is the more that'll bring you down. So then you're like, ah, oh, I don't want to think about it. But then like ignorance is bliss. You go down a rabbit hole. We should all be aware that suffering exists. You should, I don't think you should feel guilty. Like, I don't let I'll say this I won't speak for you I don't want to feel guilty because of like I was born into a time and place I was born and I'm living in 21st century middle-class America and I'm white I don't want to feel guilty about that and like what like what am I supposed to do like give up everything I have maybe I don't know man I don't think I should I should acknowledge the privilege again and like be aware that there is suffering and injustice in the world and be aware of it too. Don't just be like, 
oh man, people like people experience sadness. Oh no, there's genocide, but like don't know what's actually happening. You should be aware of how people are suffering. Point two. Life is not fair and does not need to be fair to exist. This gets me back to the cheetah cubs. So, in discussion with friends, actually, um, someone brought up a great point. Bonnie Day, shout out if you're listening, Bonnie. She's like, well, because I brought up the cheetah cubs. And she's like, well, I feel like that would actually be fair. So, the definition of fair is in accordance with the rules or standards or it's legitimate. So... A lion killing a wildebeest, that's fair, actually. That's within the rules. Like, it, it's because I guess there really are no rules in nature in regards to, like, pure animal survival. A lion killing a wildebeest, wow, that's a bummer. Like, that's fair. The lion worked and got the wildebeest. Sorry, wildebeest. Like, it might bum you out, and yeah, that's not, it's unpleasant for you. That's why we have to make the distinction between suffering and injustice. Injustice connects to fair. And what I'm saying is, life isn't fair and doesn't need to be fair to continue to go on. So that whole 90% of cheetah cubs don't survive to the second year, I think, I'm like, mm, is that fair? Like, that sucks for the cheetah cubs. But then you gotta think, well, if a cheetah cub's living, that means that other animals are dying for it to be fed, so... What side are we talking here? But then also, like, this whole fairness thing, like, what is fair, can be objective, I suppose, in a sense, but it's also fairly subjective, as in, it might just be a human trait that, like, we look at things and, like, that doesn't seem fair. Like, who... (laughs) Fair to who? And are humans just making up this thing of fair? Like, what is fair, really? Because according to the, the definition, it's in accordance with the rules or standards. Is, I'd agree to play LeBron James, LeBron James, one-on-one in basketball. And he immediately just grabs the ball, jumps over me, stiff arms me in the face, which might be a foul. So let's not do that. Just smooth, clean as can be, jumps over me and dunks the ball. And then gives me the ball. It's like, your turn. I'm like, okay. And I go to shoot it, and he just swats it. And then LeBron James, LeBron James, beats me 11 nothing and mercies me. Is that fair? Listener, if playing LeBron James one-on-one in basketball, and he beats me because he is six, what, six, eight something, and a freak of human peak per athletic performance is that fair i would say yeah like it, he didn't break the rules he's just a freak athlete it's a bummer like what because what, then like then what are we gonna do like it's not fair lebron james is such a good athlete okay well you can either give everyone steroids when they're younger and get them caught up to LeBron James or you can bring LeBron James down a few pegs and do we really want to do that so 
Let's think about that fairness. One-on-one, me versus LeBron. LeBron whoops me. That's fair. This whole life isn't fair thing. Again, you got to look at history or current examples. You could argue that the more developed a nation is, the more fair life is. As in like the foundation, which there's a elephant in the room in regards to this, but the foundation of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution is every man is created equal and has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. While that was being written, the guys that are writing that owned other human beings, and you can't just disregard that, but the foundation of our system and our society is life should be, everyone is born with a blank slate, and life should be fair. Like We all have the fair opportunity to be successful. That's not true. And we could get into like, okay, is it fair that I was born into a middle-class family when someone else was born into a lower-class family and has less likely of a chance to be successful? Maybe. Probably. I don't have the stats to back that up, but like, is that fair? Like, what are we going to do here? Are we going to push towards, let's level out that playing field I don't know I'm not here to try to solve systematic societal issues like the inequality within poverty but that's not really it's not necessarily fair in the sense well, maybe it is because what are the rules the rules are you're born into a the world, you have a situation that you're born into, and then in the United States, everyone ha- should have, because we're all born and created equal, the right to life, liberty, which is freedom from restriction, and the pursuit of happiness. So we should all have the ability to pursue happiness. If that is being provided, for someone who is in the lower class as well as the middle class, like the person in lower class has the ability to pursue happiness, that's fair. Should we all be born on a level playing field in regards to economic equality? I don't know. But I think living in a developed nation really protects us from the reality of nature that life doesn't need to be fair. In the sense of, like, think of the 90% of the cheetah cubs that don't survive to their second year. Like, light, it, I think of it like a board game or just a game in general. Cheating, and actually, if you look at history, it's unfortunate, but unfairness, unfair things usually wins out. Like, think about the drug cartel and how they get their way. It's by, like, uh, Oh my goodness. Pablo Escobar. It was uh, silver or lead, I believe this thing was. You either accept my money or I kill you. It's not fair. The cartel is doesn't run on fair. But the cartel's winning. And the cartel wins. Why? Because life doesn't, like, in order for something to continue, it doesn't have to be fair. That's life. In, like, it's like a board game. That lying and cheating can actually get you to winning the game. Now, 
you could be like, well, karma exists and perhaps it does. Maybe at some point something's going to catch up to that person. But a lot of people in history worked their way up and experienced success and even survived because they cheated and they lied. And there wasn't, at least in this life, there wasn't a lightning bolt that struck them down right when they lied or cheated. Do you get what I'm saying? Life doesn't have to be fair for it to go on. I think of like natural selection. Fairness is not a deciding or predominant trait that decides whether or not something is going to be successful and continue. It's whatever needs to be done to continue and like survive. And I'm not saying like each individual, but like let's say the mob doesn't have to be fair to continue to function. So fairness is not a trait that decides whether or not the mob is successful or not. That reflects, in my opinion, life. Now, humans, as I was saying before, have the ability to like look at something and be like, wait, that's not really fair. And then if we can all get behind that and collectively act, think of the colonies looking at the British colonial rule. We're like, hold up. Taxation without representation, that's not really fair. That is stupid. And then they rose up and resisted injustice. But until that happens, injustice and fair and injustice will just continue to go on until it's resisted. And like usually looking at history, the resistance against injustice sucks. It's not like you like you're looking at the mob or like the, it's not like people in Mexico at some point are going to like have a meeting and then meet up with the cartel like hey we decided like this really isn't fair and the cartel's like you're right sorry yeah yeah what what are we doing our bad the cartel's no like how are you going to beat the cartel and sometimes you have to then fight dirty and like you have to lie and cheat to then beat that but there's no way you're going to go to the cartel and be like, hey, this isn't fair. And the cartel's going to be like, yeah, our bad. We got lost in the sauce. <laughs> that was so stupid. <laughs> Sorry. But I think that living, I, I feel like I've said this briefly before, but living in a developed nation protects us from the true aspect of nature, whereas life doesn't need to be fair. Life is good for us, and actually, there's a website called humanprogress.org that will, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit later, but that shows that life is actually getting better for most people on this planet. As in, like, the level of poverty has gone down, it's the lowest it's potentially ever been. Homicide has gone down, might be the lowest it's ever been. Like, education's on its way up. Now, the media will not, doesn't make you feel that way, and we'll talk about that. But life is good. Like, more people are getting access to water or food or energy. More people are getting rights. Life is improving. And that's good and that's awesome. But the history of this world and humanity shows for a long time, injustice just rules supreme. And it takes a long time to end injustice. And that's just, again, I'm only pointing out, and this is point number two, Life is not fair and does not need to be fair to exist. As in, 
anything that's going to continue and like have longevity in life, including you as an individual, doesn't have to be fair. To survive. Think of like natural selection. Okay. Point three. The last thing that I've... This isn't the last thing I've learned from hum, from human history, but of the three points, something else I've noticed is ultimately your own individual actions impact the world either for good or for bad. That can be overwhelming, and if you're familiar with the show um, The Good Place, that's like the... This is what Cheaty does. He's just... Um, crippled by the consistent and ongoing battle within his mind. I'm like, is this action going to have a net good or net bad? And then he can't make any decision at all. Paralysis by analysis. I just recently heard that, and it's funny how it applies. But think about, like, in my previous podcast on Sonder. So if you haven't, after this, maybe check it out. I talked about that spiderweb. How if you feel that uh, you are not the center of the web and something's bigger than you and you are on somewhere in the web, your actions are connected to other things and they impact other things, either for good or for bad. And we'll talk about examples or think about like the snowball effect. You could do something and if it's good, it might snowball and create something good or it could snowball and create something bad. Now, let's think about like examples that support what I'm trying to say. Uh, I have two general um, topics or categories within this. There is behavior and then consumption. So behavior, I don't really think it means something like brushing your teeth. Like maybe in the end, an individual action like brushing your teeth could have a good or bad impact on the world. Maybe your stanky breath because you're not brushing your teeth is making other people very angry. <laughs> but I, I mean, maybe, yeah, there we go. We figured it out. Uh, but think about it like this, right? That behaviorally speaking towards others and even towards yourself, your behavior has an impact on the world. And you might think, okay, there's 7 billion and growing of us. How does one person, how does their behavior impact the world? Especially for like lowly peasants such as you and I. We're not talking about like someone who has such impact as El Presidente, but like you and I, the average person. Think about like paying it forward. If you all remember what that is. Um, like how does paying it forward start? And is it pay it forward good or pay it forward bad? So like I do something good for someone, let's say. I hold the door open for someone and I smile at them. Do you think that that person, when that happens to them, do you think they're more or less likely, the next person that they interact with, do you think they're more or less likely to interact with that person positively or negatively? As in, I hold the door open for you and I smile and I ask you genuinely, like, hey, how's your day going? Maybe you're like, oh, it's good, and like, move on, whatever. 
But I think you're probably more likely to act positively towards someone as opposed to me slamming the door in your face, turning around, flipping you off. That makes you angry. And then are you more likely, more or less likely to act positively or negatively towards someone, the next person you interact with? I'm going to say like paying it forward does apply individually. And this is like the snowball effect. As in, I act positively towards you. You, hopefully, are more likely to act positive towards someone else. They are going to then pay it forward. And I'm not saying like that is a for sure thing, as in like if you treat someone well, they're going to treat the next person well. You could hold the door open for a serial killer and you could smile at them and you could say hello and they'll say, hello, Clarice. And then they'll keep walking and you're like, well, first, my name's not Clarice. Two, suspicious. Also, I'm not saying that the only way that you act positively positively towards someone is if someone acts positively towards you. But that's the snowball effect for good, like pay it forward. I also believe that pay it forward works in the negative sense. Such as I am driving and I cut someone off and slam on my brakes and flip them off that's probably going to impact them and their behavior for the rest of the day. They then feel justified to act negative. Like they're, maybe they're going to take it out on someone. I would say they're at least more likely to. If you, if you think about it like this, in any conflict, you feel more justified in acting or like speaking to someone negatively or like you're verbally, I won't say abusing them, but your confrontation, you have a confrontation with this person, you feel more justified in your behavior if they're calling you names. If they are like the first person like that calls you an idiot on Facebook, you're like, oh yeah? And then you call them a blank and then they call you a blank and then it just escalates and it escalates and it escalates and when does it stop it stops when someone just turns the other cheek people feel far more just and you like this is for sure what's going on politically right now i would say to an extent but for sure people feel justified to hug to their party and then like call someone a and i'm using this term because people use it a libtard or a snowflake or a nationalist or a bigot or whatever else you want they drop these words because they also feel attacked an example I think of is so it's like turning the other cheek and pushing for peace versus returning an insult or a gossip think of like Jesus Christ who said turn the other cheek or Gandhi Gandhi, who was under control in India, under control of British English power, who was oppressing the Indians, Gandhi's mindset was, we're going to love the British so hard that they can't help but stop treating us this way and love us back. MLK was the same way. Think of the sit-ins and diners. Someone, this is suffering. This is not fair. An African-American is sitting at the diner, 
protesting that he's not going to be served because segregation exists. That is resisting oppression. That's resisting injustice. That's suffering. And it's not fair. And a white person walks up and pours a milkshake on the guy's head and takes a cigarette and burns the man with a cigarette. The man that's sitting at the diner has a choice. And it, if it were me, I don't... I could theoretically say what I would do, but I have no clue what I'm going to do. But if I'm sitting there and someone pours a milkshake on my head and puts a cigarette on my neck and calls me a word that I can't even comprehend what the N-word means to someone because I'm not black. Martin Luther King was saying, like, do not respond. Why? Because the moment that you turn around and either verbally or physically retaliate is the moment where they then become justified in what happens then. It just goes further and further and further. It's the snowball. Can you be the person if hate is growing and growing and growing and hate gets towards you and someone pours a milkshake on your head? The snowball stops at least. And you got to trust time. The snowball stops if you don't retaliate and you don't add snow to the ball. Now, there's no way, and we know it's not true, that like the moment that someone poured a milkshake on that person's head and the person didn't react and it was nonviolent, like the social, the civil rights movement didn't just like reach its goal right there and the white person's like, wait, that was a mistake. But what does it do? Objectively, like when we look back at it and then when like people hear about it, when they see a white person pour a milkshake on a black person's head and then the black person doesn't respond with violence, verbal or physical, who's in the wrong? The white person. And then hopefully at some point the white person is like, why am I like this person's not my enemy? Like, why am I treating them then this way? If they're not like I'm pouring the milkshake expecting because I hate them and I'm expecting them to because I hate them I want them to hate me back because it makes me feel justified in my hate but what Jesus and Gandhi and Martin Luther King are saying is don't react that way like react with positivity hold the door open for someone and smile at them turn the other cheek And then there's like the question of to what extent. So like if you are a sex slave, again, uh, as my students know, I tend to go extreme with things, but you kind of have to. Like if you're a sex slave, to what extent do you just turn the other cheek? Or if you're a child soldier or like you're experiencing genocide, like this is this doesn't mean like just let things happen. What this means is, is when in light of all of this suffering and injustice in the world, we individually have a choice to either add on to the the suffering or injustice and lack of fairness, or we don't. And you individually have a choice in regards to your behavior and how you treat others and even how you treat yourself. If you act, if your actions towards others are good, that's a start. So when people and you feel justified to like act negatively towards someone, you got to think, 
Am I trying to, it, like, is what I'm doing making the world a better place or is it just adding fuel to the fire? Because if someone gossips about me and then I get angry and gossip back, that person is now justified and then they're not going to stop. And that's two people now gossiping rather than one person gossiping about me and I'm just like, I don't really care. Whatever. I hope they're happy. Nothing, <laughs> it's kind of like, it's true. Nothing will get under their skin more if like you're gossiping about them and you're just like, I hope they're happy. And I hope you genuinely mean it, but like that will irritate them to no end. And so then you win and that's what it's all about. But it's true, man. Like people and people are threatened and jealous of positivity because they want people to be just as ugly on the inside as they are. It's true. From what I've observed from modern times and my own life, I don't have a whole lot of negative people in my life. But human history, people want hatred to exist because they're angry. And the best way to prevent that from happening is to just be an example of love and turn the other cheek and be positive and ask yourself, are my behaviors making working to make the world a better place that's behavior the next one's consumption so go ahead and pause the pod right when i'm done with this sentence go ahead and pause the pod when and check all of your clothes and see where they're made pause play okay probably like bangladesh vietnam um china probably maybe usa and yeah, I'm going to bring up sweatshops. Now, what's really interesting is I've done a lot of research on sweatshops. Well, a lot of economists, is that how you say people who study the economy? What a lot of people say is sweatshops, while unfortunate, are kind of not necessary, but it's just a reality. Um, and if you look at how much pe people are being paid in what we would call a sweatshop, that is equal to or more than a lot of other jobs that they could get where they live. Like in Bangladesh, people get paid, let's say, like 10 cents an hour. And we're like, how could that happen? Well, the cost of living is far different. And like that might be the best job that they can get. Now, there are people also in that country who are living with a lot of money and then we'll get into the whole fairness and the equality of income, whatever. But the point being from this is you should be aware of who you're buying from. And while I'm not saying all sweatshops are bad because as I've just pointed out, sweatshops are reality and if you want to buy the shirt for $15, you the only way that's going to happen is if we get it from a country that doesn't pay its people a lot you should be more so concerned with like are the people treated at least ethically like are they getting paid that's good are they being abused there are plenty of well not plenty of but i found some videos of like the, there's one where this guy's walking around like calling these girls pigs and little sluts and like threatening to beat them and they ask this little girl how old she is and she doesn't even know like that is a bummer and you want to buy your shirt for $15 because it's mad cheap at Walmart or wherever else. Like, where was that shirt being made? Where are you buying your clothes? Are you buying from a place that is supporting 
bad things. And bad things would be like suffering or injustice. Are you aware, at least aware of where you're getting your clothes? Because if you're buying from a company that is either using forced labor, which is a reality, or like using like unethical treatment to its employees, disregarding the amount that they're paid, because we can't get super bummed out about them being paid less than the minimum wage in the United States. Are you buying from a place that, let's say, beats its workers? You're probably like, I don't know. It's just H&M. Like, and sorry, H&M. Luckily, no one listens to this. So like, I don't know if that would be like defamation or what. But like where if you're buying from them and you're giving them money, then they're just going to keep doing what they're doing. And they might be using unethical practices. I'm not going to say like I just use H&M as an example. Obviously, we've heard like Nike. I don't know fully about Nike. I know Nike uses we'll call them sweatshops. But apart from the income disparity, we should be worried about like forced labor and the ethical treatment of the employees at least. Is that happening? So that's like consumption. Lo- so like, are we supporting local businesses? Or at least are we thinking, who's this money going to that I'm, that I'm giving the money? Is it going to someone who, again, like is treating their people ethically? Is it going to a corporate, like, sorry, Walmart, but how they treat their employees is not always ethical. And like, I'm not getting on a high horse because I buy some fishing stuff from Walmart. Like I'm, I go to Walmart as well at times because it's cheap. But then like, if we're trying to make the world, like you're, if we're trying to make the world a better place, your actions have a good or bad impact and where you're buying from like your consumption can support bad things and if you're totally unaware of it that kind like that is the privilege if you're like oh it's cheap it's on sale i love the colors and like you aren't aware of like is it good or bad like that's privilege in my opinion you should at least be aware, like, who's this money going to? I'm not, like, we use Amazon as well. But, like, the more I, I used to think when I was, like, college, and, and again, it's funny, because now, like, I've, I'm i 27 now, and I'm going to look back probably when I'm, like, 35, and, like, God, I was such an idiot. But, like, 27 to me looks at, like, 20-year-old me. 20-year-old me was like, consumerism's so bad, man. But like consumerism is actually necessary because consumerism creates jobs and like gets people money so they can feed their kids. So then we got, we should be spending money, not all of our money, obviously, but we should be spending our money on like going out to eat or like buying things. Can we buy local? Can we support local businesses? Do we know who our money's going to? And then like, also let's think about consumption regards to like, let's say plastic bottles. I think that I had my design thinking class look at this, but I think it's like 7.1, oh shoot. I think it's million metric tons of plastic or trash goes into the ocean every year. And it's a stupid amount. Like there's a pile of trash in the ocean that's like, oh, I think the now the number is, it's at least two, maybe it's three times the size of Texas. How does that happen? There's no way that one person's responsible for that. And it goes into the snowball thing that I'm talking about. What that is, is, one individual person using a plastic bottle, let's say, 
drinking the plastic bottle, even recycling it, or apparently like if you don't take the cap off or the, the plastic bottle, that prevents it from being recycled, or just throwing it in the trash, one person's like, uh, just one person. When you have 300 million people doing it, that's 300 million plastic bottles per day. It adds up. So your consumption of plastic, even like plastic bags going to the grocery store, you're like, ah, oh, I'm just one person. Yeah, that's like the bystander effect. Like then 300 something million people are like, oh, I'm just one person. 300 million one people with plastic bags every time they go grocery shopping. That plastic is going to take longer than your lifetime to, what would be the word? Ah, oh, shoot, I can't think of the word, but it's too late in the podcast. To, uh, to, uh, to biodegrade, it's not biodegradable, right? It's going to take longer than your lifetime to be dealt with. It's just going to stick around. So like, what's your consumption with plastic? What's your consumption with oil? Are you driving everywhere? Can you ride your bike places? Because oil has an impact on the environment. Like, so what I'm pointing out is suffering exists. Like, Bad things happen in this world, such as a pile of trash two times the size of Texas that's killing a bunch of animals. That's suffering. That exists in the world. And life doesn't have to be fair to continue. So if we're aware that suffering exists, we should ask ourselves, is my life making the world a better place or am I not having any positive impact, but it's not bad. But then in that case, not having a positive impact is essentially having a negative impact. And that is, in my opinion, behavior and consumption. Behavior. Like I said uh, in another podcast, the Rwandan genocide didn't just happen in one day. The Rwandan genocide is a result of a bunch of individual actions of people treating each other poorly and it led to a genocide that's the large snowball at the end of the mountain that's so big and moving so fast that you can't stop it but that started at the top of the mountain with individual actions and choices of people treating each other so you gotta ask yourself like well where am I in this with the way the United States is and we're so polarized are you making the United States a better place or a worse place? And I guarantee you people will feel justified like, I'm making a better place by removing those gosh dang socialists or I'm making the world a better place by removing Trump. Okay, perhaps, but think about your actions. Like, How are you treating other people in your endeavor to save the world? Thank you so much. How are you treating other people? Because right when you treat someone... Right when you treat someone negatively, they then feel justified to do the same thing, not only to you, but to the neighbor. And then the neighbor feel justified to do it to their neighbor and their kids and their kids grow up being treated in a certain way. And then they pass that on to their kids and it snowballs. So the best thing that you can do is look at your individual actions and your behaviors towards others and yourself. How are you treating yourself? Treat yourself well. It's like Jordan Peterson said, take care of yourself like you would take care of someone else. Make your bed. Treat yourself well. Treat others well. And that is like, it's the same thing as the pile of plastic in the ocean. 300 million people, 350 million people 
in the United States. When you got individuals, I'm like, oh, it doesn't really matter what I do. So they either like toss their plastic bottle out onto the street like and just litter, or they cut someone off or flip someone off. And doesn't matter what, I'm just one person. 300 million people all saying, I'm just one person. And like, I'm not responsible for all this. That's the problem. I've thought about this, folks. In my design thinking class, how to make the world a better place. And it starts with, and this is from like learning a whole lot of history it starts with individuals individuals all collectively trying to make the world a better place and treat each other better it's like it's stupidly simple and it's unfortunately unlikely but it's really also not it's like I, I feel conflicted, like, oh, like it's never going to happen. But then like if everyone just tried to treat each other better. And I say that without like no one has murdered my parents or committed genocide against my people. So like I say that with like privilege, obviously. But. Like, think about, like, I look at, for strength, I think of the African-American who is sitting in the diner and someone pours a milkshake over their head and burns them with a cigarette, and they don't act violently. That's why, like, I find, I live in Harrisburg, there are African-Americans around, and, like, maybe this is just such a white person thing to do. I don't know. Or to, like, think about. But when I go to the market, and I hold the door open for a black person, I, like... I mean, obviously, I'm going to do it to every person, but, like, I feel almost excited to, like, smile and, like, ask them how their day is genuinely. And it's not, like, as a white person trying to, like, save the world. It's, like, I am aware, well aware of the past, and I'm excited, and it makes me hopeful that, like, I'm so happy that I live in a world where, like, I'm happy to hold the door open for a black person to smile at them and they smile back at me. And it's like, this is the way things should be. And the past, and like, you want to go so far, like in the past, like we had slaves and there have been genocides committed and like so much suffering goes on in the world. Like, what are you as an individual doing to make the world a better place? I guess that's what I love most about it. It isn't just one thing. So much larger than that. Fairness doesn't win. That's just a reality of life. Fairness does not win. Goodness doesn't win out. It doesn't ha- The world doesn't have to be fair. There are so many instances in history where fairness just wasn't the case, and it wasn't the case for hundreds of years. Like it's not like oh this shoot this will pass. No, slaves were born a slave and died a slave. That's it. Fairness doesn't have to win. Suffering exists. Injustice exists. It's a reality of our existence. In spite of suffering, we individually can act positively. You individually can try to make the world a better place. And I get like... This podcast is not a total 
hoorah, like we can do it and like self-help thing. This is just as one who has studied history, I feel as if I've kind of, <laughs> frankly, cracked a code in genocides can be prevented, war can be prevented, it, it but it's on a massive individual scale, if that makes sense. As in, a mass of individuals have to act properly. Don't be a sheep. Think for yourself. Fight for positivity. If 300 individuals fight for positivity and find the goodness in humanity, who knows what could happen? Yeah, just like thinking about where we're about to be going once this whole corona thing's over. We're about to get into the election. Goodness gracious. It's going to get intense. It might, it's going, that's a thing, man. Like it's going to get ugly. And then you just hope, like, I just wish that one day like what if just everyone's like hey on friday let's just all try to be super positive privilege check me all you want i haven't had to deal with that much suffering just trying to make the world go round peace